what you're really talking about are beliefs about the self and the research, you want to know what the research says about procrastination, and this is kind of an unpopular view for a lot of people because it kind of slaps them in the face. The scientific reason that is most common for procrastination and a variety of other self-limiting strategies is because we're afraid we may fail. And when you're afraid you may fail, it's very, very discouraging for your ego and your overall life experience. to the Mind for Life podcast. The Mind for Life podcast. Where your thinking can change your life. And now, here's your host, Jeff Bogazic. Hello, good people, and welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. My name is Jeff Bogazic, and I will be your host, where we hopefully will help you to learn and think and live better. Welcome to the program. I'm so excited to have with us Dr. Bobby Hoffman. And I know you're going to appreciate this interview. If you are looking for information on motivation and the science behind it, have we got a show for you. Dr. Hoffman is an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Central Florida. He's also a Psychology Today blogger, the author of over 50 publications and four books, and an internationally known speaker for his work on the application of motivational science to solve personal and professional challenges. He's twice planned the conference agenda for the largest gathering of motivational researchers on the planet and serves on five academic journal editorial boards. Dr. Bobby, however, is not your typical academic. He brings a unique perspective to learners and readers because before earning his PhD, he spent 22 years, that's right, in training and organizational development, working for some of the world's most successful companies, including, and here's a list, GE, KPMG, an accounting firm, NBC, and the National Basketball Association, among others. He's best known for his ability to transform complex research findings into usable strategies for practical people like you and me that he calls hacks, which are featured in his latest book, Hack Your Motivation, Over 50 Science-Based Strategies to Improve Performance. I am really stoked about talking to him on the program today, and you're going to hear about these three things. What is it that causes procrastination? You're also going to hear some practical psychological hacks so you can get your motivation in gear. And finally, how changing your type one or habitual thinking process can really transform your life plus a whole lot more. Before we get to the interview, let me mention a couple of things. However, first of all, I want to recognize our show sponsor, Bluehost.com, the absolute number one leading web solution services provider. 
They innovate continually new ways to deliver their mission, which is to empower people like you and me to fully harness the web. They provide the comprehensive tools necessary for millions of users throughout the world so anyone, novice or pro, can get on the web and thrive. So if you are looking on your own to host a podcast or a blog or a website, please check out bluehost.com. A link for $3.95 a month hosting with a free domain is on mindforlife.org. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and click on the banner. You can grab that. Second, the show notes for this program will be at mindforlife.org slash 044. So if you're looking for the links to anything that goes on in this program, what we talk about, including where you can connect with Bobby and link to his book and all of his contact information, that's mindforlife.org slash 044. Click on over there. You can also comment on this program. Third, you can also now help to support this podcast with your kind generosity. You can become a patron with as little as $1 a month, less than the cost of a pack of gum. You can help us cover the cost of producing this program. That link is at our homepage, mindforlife.org, right at the very top. Click on the Become a Patron link. We'd appreciate that. And before we get into it, I'm going to give a shout out to one of our reviewers. Occasionally, we will read reviews here. And this goes out to Razor9494, who says about the program, Jeff brings amazing energy and passion to his show. Great insight and questions. Plus, I'm a huge Vinny Pug fan. That's Vinny Puglisi. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear that interview, that is mindforlife.org slash 039 to hear how Vinny went from 32000 a year to 32000 in one day. Uh, keep up the great work, Jeff. Ray from Game Changing Dads. So thank you, Ray, for that wonderful review. And I would encourage you to go take a listen to Game Changing Dads on iTunes uh, and take a listen to what Ray has going on there. And I'm sure that Ray will very much appreciate that as well. All right, that's enough. Let's get right into my interview today with motivational psychologist, Dr. Bobby Hoffman. I hope you enjoy it. All right, uh, we are here with Dr. Bobby Hoffman. Bobby, it is really a pleasure to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, Jeff, it's great to be here. Always like talking to folks like you. Good, good. I appreciate that. Well, the purpose here is to talk a little bit about the science of motivation. And so if you could just start out for the audience and give us a little bit of background on yourself and maybe share how and why you got interested in researching the science of motivation. How, how did how did you get directed into that field? Uh, well, it, it's kind of a long story, and I do tell that in the book, uh, Hack Your Motivation. But the kind of the short version is I was working in a really bad company when I was just like 20 years old. And I really couldn't understand why the supervisors and managers were making the decisions they were making. And they didn't really consider the, the people that were impacted by those decisions. So that was a big catalyst for me to go into human resources and organizational development. So I got my master's degree in uh, human resources psychology, which once you peel back the layers of that degree, 
when you talk about the psychology of human beings and how they operate in a work uh, context, you're really talking about motivation and learning. So that theme is recurring throughout my career. And I worked in human resources for about 20 years, and still it's, just, it's the same thing, like, well, why are they conducting training this way? And why does their compensation system or their benefit system operate this way? And there always seemed to me to be a gap in terms of the uh, understanding the people involved and what they believe. A lot of organizations have big, big problems where there's a disconnect between their strategy and what the people in those organizations strive for, what they believe in. And you, you wind up getting these clashes. I've done a lot of performance management situations and coaching executives and, and counseling and stuff. And this is like one person's going this way and the other person's going this way and they can't figure out why. So eventually, after working for 20 years in the HR OD business, I decided to go back to school and get more of a formalized background in the science of learning and motivation and and now I'm just applying that those lessons in a different way so I'm kind of a bit of an anomaly there aren't many people that have worked in business for 22 years and then trans transfer into academia and I've been in academia for 12 years so I got that deep knowledge of the theory and I've done the research but I also know how it works in practice and and sometimes you, you get really brilliant people the typical model is we're going to talk about the theory, but they've never been immersed in it. They've never experienced it, so that there's winds up being a gap. Or then you have the other people who are very intuitive in business, and they sometimes make good decisions, but they're not really based a lot of times on facts. <laughs> <laughs> well, this sounds intuitively correct, so we're going to do it, and I'm, I'm the boss, so it must be right. You know, I've been successful. So I've got a unique blend of both the practical and the theoretical, and pretty much I'm kind of a straightforward, just talking plain English kind of guy. And I like to get the message out to people that in non-complex terms, because you, you pick up a book on motivation depending on who the author is, and I know a lot of them because they're my colleagues, and it's like, what are you talking about? And, and so I, I think there's a really, really strong need to communicate science-based strategies in a way that everyone can understand and use. Yeah, one of the things that you really do bring together is uh, a lot of times in academia, you have to use language that is specifically for academics. A layperson doesn't want to spend all the time trying to go through and understand the language. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of the motivational stuff out there and from my perspective, is very surfacey, you know, kind of like pop psychology with not a lot of depth and research behind it. Although people will say that there there is, and so you br you do bring that together with both your practical experience and your you know depth in the field. Jeff, that's that's a really excellent point, and I'm kind of seen as by my colleagues as the anti-academic because the profession talks about getting the message to the front line and in my particular business of educational psychology it's teachers and instructors and right. leaders but they write for their colleagues and for graduate students right. and the message gets garbled or lost in the process 
So that, that's kind of why I took the approach in, uh, in the book Hack Your Motivation of just telling stories and it's just a completely different way. But, but you're, here's the key that you just mentioned. A lot of the most successful people in the business of motivation, they're highly charismatic. They're usually very successful. And I can start rattling off names, but I don't think we need to do that. But they really don't know a whole lot about motivation science. Right. And unfortunately, what happens if you're really charismatic and you have a strong message, people will listen to you and they do not realize that the message the person is sending may work for them and their individual circumstances and their social network and their genetic background and their environment and they're saying well this is what you should do but it could be completely off base right so you develop th this atmosphere where you're you're cultivating followers almost to the perspective of a cult and by certain people who will say no you know, doubt no doubt i'm an advocate of tony robbins and if tony robbins says it it must be right well tony robbins says some things that are right but tony robbins also communicates a lot of messages that are not supported by data and science and are not replicated across different people so the experience he has and the experience you have using the same strategy could be completely different Right. Yeah. And that develops into false beliefs about yourself and about the world in general. And that's a really big problem for some people. Right. Yeah. So talk about that. Like when you when you hear something and it doesn't work for you, that really can hinder the actual motivation that it's supposed to be giving you, correct? You are so right. But here, here's what happens, one of two things, and it's not really that, that simple, one or two, but usually, okay, if you're the, the motivation expert, and there are tons of them out there that sell billions of books, many more books than I do, <laughs> the, the experts will say, well, you're not following my program. <laughs> you, you don't believe in it, or they can never be, their knowledge can never be falsified. Right. So they act as a guru, and if something doesn't work according to their specified plan, it's your problem. Right. <laughs> and you need to change. That that's number one. Number two, the second most likely outcome is, well, I don't have what it takes. I, I just don't get it. I'm not smart enough. Uh, I, I'm not capable. I need more help. And, or any variety of personal interpretations and that's where the the big problem begins because if you believe that success in life is based on ability and ability alone then you're creating a big problem for yourself because you will say well if you believe you don't have the ability and success is based on ability then you're not going to be successful and you put this negative aura about yourself and you begin to accept your situation as opposed to believe that you continue to grow and develop as a person. So the acceptance part, sometimes it means, well, I just won't try hard anymore on a new task. Right. What's the point? I'm not going to do any better, so why should I put in the effort? Generally, people 
human beings don't like to put in effort unless it's absolutely necessary or they see a payoff. In fact, 99% of success in life is not ability, it's effort. Right. <laughs> it's how, and you know what? In the popular culture, people are perceived as being overnight successes and they don't have to work really hard and you don't have to be like really, really smart. It just happens overnight. Right. Now, you, I know you know that's not true, but that's another belief that people have and they apply it to themselves. So these, the combination of all the beliefs we have about ourselves are going to impact how we navigate the world. And, you know, one of those really, really important beliefs, and this kind of, it, it's related to what we were talking about, there's something called a, a control belief. And that control belief is that you have the ability to control your destiny. Or you believe that your destiny and your success and your relationships and your jobs and your partners and whatever happens to you is the result of external forces. And they let the world bounce off of them and determine their destiny. Right. And there are other people that say, you know what? If I'm in a bad relationship, I need to change that relationship or I need to be in a different relationship or change the nature of the current relationship. And if I'm in a bad job and I'm not getting promoted, I need to do something differently to get promoted. Maybe I need to learn new skills or I need to act in a, in a more, uh, more of a team player or whatever it is. So people take responsibility. So we're not talking about controlling the world, but operating under the premise that I'm accountable for my success or my failure, and I know and I realize that effort is a big component of that. So people are kind of polarized in, in those directions, and, and it's really easy to spot. Yeah, unless, <laughs> it's, unless it's you, right? <laughs> you're, you're exactly right because you become so accustomed to that kind of thinking. And, you know, in psychology we talk about type 1 and type 2 thinking, and, I, and this is in hacking motivation in simplistic terms. But some of our thinking is automatic. It just happens. Right. You know, if you see a, a big dog barking in the street, you don't have to think, well, I wonder if the dog is nice. You know, is he going to let me pet him? Or, you know, you, you see a dog growling, you're going to walk to the other side of the street. Right. It's almost instantaneous, yeah. okay? If you believe men are superior in intellect to females, if a female is saying something to you, you're going to filter that information out. Automatically. Okay, so it doesn't even yeah. really pass through your conscious mind. It just happens. Now, the other type of thinking that we use when we try to solve problems, when we're trying to figure out, well, what do I want for dinner tonight? What kind of job should I have? It's more complex thinking, it's analytical, it's slower, and it's not spontaneous. So in order to thrive and continue to grow and develop, you got to get away from that automatic thinking about yourself. Because a lot of people will say, you know what, I'm not going to go to the party because I don't really do well talking with other people. So they immediately turn, turn, shut themselves down and their social development kind of gets capped right? because they don't think they have what it takes. So, and the only way to get around that is you have to have conscious reflection on what you're thinking about. And in, when you're pondering something, stop the automatic decisions. Stop. When you go into the local uh, Wawa, 
you know, and you're looking for a snack, you don't just grab the cupcakes. You say, well, you know, maybe there's a better choice here for me that I would still like. But the go-to solution is the cupcakes, and right. a lot of people have that about themselves. <laughs> Let's get the cupcakes, and and that that stymies and limits your growth. So let me ask you a question because in in your book. Uh, you talk about some of the fo- the the four areas, and it's it appears to me. Number one, it sounds like you're talking about self fulfilling prophecy to a certain extent and how that works. Uh, in other words, people think things about themselves and their body just begins to respond on autopilot. They make choices and decisions without realizing it and, and end up becoming what they believed. And then you talk about like uh, that that seems to be one of the areas for your your motivational hacks, the idea of awareness. How can someone become more aware because I think what you say is one of the biggest problems. We just do things based on maybe you want to call it past conditioning or the way that our brains have been uh, conditioned or have been kind of, if you want to use the word programmed to think in specific ways, how do we step outside of that? And what do you, uh, what kind of uh, techniques or steps are there for people to say, let me take a more reflective position. Okay. Well, We've kind of hit on it a little bit, is that overriding the thinking process. So you're, you're absolutely correct. The first step in the process to motivational change is the awareness that you might want to change. Okay. And, and that awareness, and that, you know, I, I talked about the actual, like, how do you do it? And, and I'll just give you, uh, uh, you're probably familiar with thinking biases, but mm-hmm. one of the, the most uh, we'll say insidious or, or challenging biases we have is we tend to think we do a lot of things well. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I don't mean that necessarily from a skills perspective, but like if we even take today, you know, you said to me, and we'll probably talk for a half hour or 45 minutes. Now, we've already been talking for a half hour, and we haven't even gotten into it. <laughs> so you made it... <laughs> You probably made a calculation error, and you're miscalibrated. Okay, you you really have to take a uh, very conscious approach to what what's actually happening, and and actively step away. Now you you're a young guy, so you don't remember uh, the the show The Honeymooners and uh, Jackie Gleason. Right. He was kind of a obese. A uh, very gregarious bus driver who thought he knew everything, and he lived in a tiny apartment with his wife, and he used to get very uh, angry at times. So he used a, an awareness strategy, and his strategy was if he knew he was about to get angry and emotional, he would verbalize pins and needles, needles and pins. It's a happy man that smiles and grins <laughs> <laughs> to give himself a cushion before he reacted. Right. So if people give themselves this this zone, this kind of safe zone of saying, okay, let me think about what I'm doing. Let me not make an emotional decision. Let me make a more logical decision. Then they're, they're on the way to getting a clear picture of themselves and the situations and understanding kind of why I do what I do. I'll give you a typical practical example, you know, and, and it's one that the public gets exploited. 
you go into a car dealership or you, or any major purchase and you see something you really like and you get enamored with that decision and you probably are also going to get screwed in terms of what you're going to pay right. because right. the sharp salesperson has seen the emotional connection and actually try to cultivate the emotional connection. You will look really good over here in this vehicle. All your friends will think you're the coolest guy around and they play to your vulnerabilities. So recognizing your emotions, recognizing the type of thinking you're doing, and another really important thing, and I call it the anchor hack, and this gets a lot of people in trouble okay, in terms of development. What's your point of reference? Who are you comparing yourself to? Or what are you comparing yourself to? Because with the anchor hack, we can compare ourselves to other people and say, you know, well, my, my, uh, my buddy Jeff, he just bought himself a new Corvette, and I'm better than Jeff, so I need to get, you know, a Lamborghini. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or you have people that say, you know what, uh, last time I took a course, I got to be in that course, and B is passing, so that's cool. So that's, that's calibrating yourself with a particular standard. Or you can be like you probably are, and certainly I feel I'm this way, where as long as I'm developing and progressing, I do it, I perform a little bit better than the last time I did. You know, I wrote, the, I wrote a better sentence. It took a, a faster bike ride. I accomplished more today than I did yesterday. You know, I didn't. I didn't get upset in traffic like I usually do. So your standard of excellence in comparison is yourself. Right. And right. Usually that's more productive. But all these things evolve around being aware of your how you think, who you are, and how you see yourself in comparison to the external world. You talked about uh, on the honeymooners. You know, he had a, he verbalized, he had a verbal, like some people, some of these gurus call them like triggers. I'm going to set up triggers in my life so that I can go. And, you know, when I'm standing in line, I'll, I see the candy bar and it gives me triggers to think. Now, can you establish certain things that start to develop habitual thinking patterns like that? Like I'm going to, whenever I start to feel emotional, I'm going to try to refocus my mind. And can that then develop into a habit that establishes that kind of pause, so to speak? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in psychology and motivation science, we call it self-regulation. And a lot of the, the experts will kind of offer a bunch of strategies. Some of them are actually practical, you know, like what you just said is a pretty, a pretty common approach, like verbalize things to yourself. And actually the research will tell you if you say, hey, Jeff, you, you can overcome this obstacle. You can maintain your momentum and actually say this out loud and, and using your name, self-talk and self-talk with name. And self-talk with name works better than the other two conditions. So, so there's a lot of like practical stuff like that. Of course, another strategy is writing it down because a lot of times people get overwhelmed, okay? You have to write a dissertation. Usually that means you're going to spend a year, maybe more, and come up with a document that's between 100 and 200 pages. And if you look at that as one task, you get overwhelmed. And a lot of people, and sorry to say, I, I don't know if you know the stats, but 50% people will not write the dissertation and will wind up bailing out of uh, a terminal degree <laughs> 
uh, with only the coursework because right. it's really yeah. hard and yeah. you have to self-manage. So a lot of these action hacks that we come up with in terms of self-talk and writing things down and consequation, those are really, really practical strategies that you can use. Okay, so a good question is a lot of people think that maybe they are biologically or neurologically procrastinators by nature. Okay, in other words, I'm a procrastinator. They develop that belief. Now, talk a little bit, if you would, about what the science says and is uh, motivational behavior much like a muscle? The more you exercise it, the more you develop the habitual patterns, the easier it becomes, or is it a constant struggle, something that people will have to deal with for the rest of their lives? Yeah, you, you, you raised about six good points there. <laughs> See how my memory is working. Okay, you talked about you know, genetically being kind of pre-wired. Right. So research will say, and this applies to motivation, a lot of people are surprised about this, that 50% of your motivational patterns are actually inherited. Uh -huh. So <laughs> the ones that wind up becoming dominant are the ones that are reinforced through your upbringing. Okay. So you could be kind of a, a real unfriendly kind of guy genetically. You come from a tribe of uh, <laughs> you know, genetically unfriendly people. And it sounds funny, but it, it can be true. But the, your, your upbringing can override that so you become a friendly person. So we have to account for genetics and understand who we are biologically as well as uh, environmentally. Now what, what you're really talking about are beliefs about the self and the research, you want to know what the research says about procrastination, and this is kind of an unpopular view for a lot of people because it kind of slaps them in the face. The reason that the scientific reason that is most common for procrastination and a variety of other self-limiting strategies is because we're afraid we may fail. Wow. And when you're afraid you may fail, it's very, very discouraging for your ego and your overall um, life experience. There's a brilliant guy, far more brilliant than me, named Bernard Weiner, who has developed what's called attribution theory. And attribution theory basically means how do we account for our successes and failures. And he, he writes and he says, and I, I point this out in Hack Your Motivation, too. The last thing anybody wants to, to think about themselves is they're not capable and they're just not, not able to get done what they want to get done, and they basically view themselves as not being competent. It's a really, really bad feeling. So to avoid that feeling, they wind up doing other things that will insulate them from feeling really bad about themselves. And we call it self-worth. Okay, So you don't want low self-worth. You want to feel like you're a decent human being, that you're likable, that you're capable and you have the autonomy and the freedom to do what you want. So if you're not feeling that way, we try to mask that feeling and we mask it with these self-handicapping strategies which include procrastination because the textbook 
procrastinator, even though they will tell you that they work better under pressure, and there is no research to support that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the bottom line. You procrastinate and you fail. We know you don't want to look at yourself as being incompetent, so what do you say to yourself, and this all happens subconsciously most of the time, you say, well, you know, if I didn't wait to the last minute, I would have done really well. So for the individual, they have a built-in excuse. Mm-hmm. If, in fact, things go bad, that doesn't reflect on who they are, their personal identity. It's a reflection of how they approach the task. So it becomes task-specific. And they might say, well, I'm not really interested in that, that task anyway. Or, uh, you know, that test is not really important to me. Or, I don't know, what do I need to, how, why do I need to know algebra? What's the difference? Like, uh, so they, they discount it to themselves, and they justify the behavior. Right. So procrastination falls into that big bucket of masking the feeling of low self-worth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, attribution theory, just to clarify, is more about attributing the meaning of our negative outcomes to the behaviors and not to our general character and and then attributing the good outcomes or the good things in life to our character who we are as a person rather than what we actually did or didn't do is that is that that's a, a very common thinking bias that you just explained and you see this all the time, and uh, I don't want to get into politics, but politicians are really good at this. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on, Democrat or Republican. When they do, when things go right, it's there. It's because of them. They're great. When things go wrong, it's everybody. It's the economy. You it's know, circumstances. It's, the it's yeah. Not cooperating. You know. Right. It, it's everything else but them. So attribution theory, the the gold standard of attribution theory is how do you account for your successes and failures, which you described as a one of many interpretations. But we've kind of discussed a big part of attribution theory is how much control do you think you have about, over the world, and it, do things change? How you go about solving problems and tasks is related to the attributions you have about yourself. But they, they some people think it's fixed. Right. You know, uh, you know if I... You know, went to make a cup of coffee and it, and it comes out with brines in it. Uh, I don't know how to make coffee. That's not going to change. Other people will say, you know, hey, well, listen, you know, I, I probably put in, uh, you know, too much coffee or whatever, or the coffee machine is broke, <laughs> or I need to do something different to get a better cup of coffee. So we also have this thing that's part of attribution theory is how stable a- and uh, things are. So that's a belief we have about the world as well as about ourselves. So all these beliefs kind of make up attribution theory. But what you described is certainly a very, very popular interpretation of why things happen. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not a determinist in, in maybe, I guess you could say, the, the most forceful way, right? There are certain determining factors in our life. There are culture, cultural variables, upbringing, genetics – but we do have the power to change. We do have the ability to really reflect on what we're doing, to become more aware, to start changing some of the uh, underlying thought patterns 
in order to get better. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think that statement is is very accurate. It, first, you, there's really there's kind of three situations when it comes to motivational change. You may have the strategies, but you don't have the motivation. So you know how to do it, but you choose not to. Or you may not know how to do it, and you're not motivated either. That's really bad. Or you may be motivated and you need... <laughs> You need to learn the strategies, and that's usually what we encounter in formal education. I know I can be better. I'm motivated to be better. Show me how. So that, that's a really good situation. The really bad situation is I don't care and I don't know how to do it, <laughs> but then people are using usually masking their self-worth, and they use these strategies, and we didn't talk about self-handicapping. You know, the way to handicap is, you know, you drink all the time because you don't have to think about it. Or you, you kind of slice up your arm because the pain there is very concrete and evident, so you focus on that, not what's in here. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of these uh, very, very uh, dangerous and detrimental strategies people use to mask. We're in, the, we're in the category of not motivated and don't know how. So generally, you know, for most people, you know, we got the, this. This is for the person that says, you know what, I want to improve my personal or professional life. I just need more help on how to make that happen. Right. And one key, and we haven't talked about this at all really, is social influence. That it's perfectly okay not to be able to do something yourself. The, the people that are most successful, and if you, I don't know if you read the textbook, but I read, went around the world talking to successful people in different businesses. And I, I spoke to a professional poker player, spoke to Bernie Madoff, whatever you think about him. Uh, you know, he, he knew how to make money. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not the right way, but he, he was very successful what he did, even though he did the wrong thing. Okay, I spoke to Cheryl Hines, the actress in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Spoke to a lot, a lot of people, successful business people, teachers, politicians and stuff. They all have a situation where not only do they allow themselves to learn and be better, they recognize that they don't see it as a problem. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. What's wrong is saying, I don't know, and doing nothing about it. Right. <laughs> so when you're in that situation, it's also important to recognize when you need help. And other people are your support system. There's no reason for me to write books if I don't have other people helping me. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. There's no purpose to it except boosting my own ego. There's no purpose in development unless you get, for some people, recognition from others. But if you have a network of support, it's so, so important. And I know, I, of course, I don't know you personally, but I know when you're in graduate education, you have this, like, up and down, up and down. Sometimes you think, I'm never going to do this dissertation. Other days, you know, I'm really into this. It's great. So we have to learn how to deal with the motivational lulls in life, which are inevitable. Things will never go according to plan 100% of the time. Your flight is not always going to leave when it's supposed to. So if we can think about this stuff in advance, that's a strategy. So you don't wind up sitting at the airport twiddling your thumbs. You say, you know what, it's possible my flight can be late. Maybe I ought to bring my computer so I can 
knock out a couple of sentences on my dissertation when I'm waiting. And so then the wait, which some people would perceive as an inconvenience, for you becomes a big bonus right. because you've gotten some work done that you might not have gotten done if you didn't think about it in advance. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to put together a support system which can be people or it can be places and things. And you structure your own thinking to be as objective as possible. And that's how you make personal and professional progress. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. I could talk to you probably for two hours uh, <laughs> because I enjoy it so much. It's very interesting. Uh, it's very practical and applicable. And you shared a ton of information, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. And maybe we can do this again and talk a yeah, little sure. bit more in depth. Uh, but just for our listeners, uh, share where they can kind of connect with you online and maybe a little bit more about not only Hack Your Motivation, which is more of a practical layman's book, but maybe for somebody that's interested more getting into the research and a lot of the more theoretical aspects of it, the other book that you wrote. And you, I think I think you've got m Motivation Murder or Murder Your Motivation, something out there as well. You can download it for free on my website, uh, hackyourmotivation.com. Uh, so that's kind of a, a, a freebie, and it talks about some of the strategies in Hacking Motivation, but Hacking Motivation is available on Amazon and every other uh, internet retailer in the world. Uh, so that's easy to get, and it's uh, one of my goals as a professor at the University of Central Florida is to make uh, information cheap so that... <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that, right? All the college students are saying thank you for that. It's really bad. So, you know, you can get a hard copy of this for 20 bucks or a digital copy for $8. And uh, so it cuts out the middleman, self-published. Uh, but HackYourMotivation.com is the place. The other book, if you're really into the science of motivation, it has 1,200 citations in it, motivation from A to Z, 435 pages, resources, and all that kind of stuff. But you need to be a hardcore motivation guy for that, and you can get that on Amazon and through my publisher, Elsevier. And if you really want to know about motivation, you take one of my classes at the University of Central Florida, uh, who are undefeated in uh, football, 12-0, nice. and playing Auburn in the Peach Bowl. Wow, <laughs> so. nice. Cong well, congratulations. Hey, uh, just a quick question. You have not developed any type of online motivational courses like for people like video courses or anything like that online thank you for that uh, reminder yes the largest online source of information and courses in the world is called udemy and on udemy i do have a course based on the textbook it has 20 different lessons all video lessons for people that like to watch videos and there are quizzes and stuff and you can uh, Depending on Udemy's promotions, you can take that course for as little as $10. Wow. So if you're into sitting in front of your computer and uh, listening to me, you can do that there. But also, uh, actually, when you mention that, I don't know if you have the hard copy of uh, Hack, but what I did was um, I have QR codes in the book. Mm -hmm. So if you get a QR reader on your phone and you take a picture of that, QR code with your phone, it'll automatically take you to a YouTube video where one of my colleagues and I are talking about the book content. Okay. So, and that's free, so that, that's kind of a cool thing. You can just uh, go on YouTube and uh, 
Put in Hack Your Motivation and watch that. Well, for anybody who's interested in becoming more motivated, understanding the science and psychology behind it, it's hackyourmotivation.com. Bobby, it has been a great joy to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the program. Well, I really appreciate it, Jeff. It was great talking to you. And seriously, like you can call me offline if you run into any uh, dissertation problems or you want to talk again. I will. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Good luck. Thanks. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that discussion as much as I did. What a great time talking to Dr. Bobby Hoffman about motivational psychology. And let me give you my top takeaways. Number one, get away from the automatic type one thinking about yourself. That automatic thinking process that happens in your subconscious without your realization and learn to develop a conscious reflection on what you're thinking about. Stop the automatic thinking. It can be very destructive. And so think about implementing some vocalization triggers or some things that will be able to give you a pause in the automatic thinking process to allow you time to reflect and to make an informed choice and decision. Number two was what Bobby called the anchor hack. What is your point of reference? What or who are you comparing yourself to? See, your standard of comparison is important for your happiness and fulfillment. In other words, when we compare ourselves to ourselves, are we doing better today than we were yesterday? Rather than holding ourselves up to unrealistic standards or maybe even standards that we don't really want to reach, but that other people have defined for us as standards, it can cause frustration and defeat. So what's your point of reference? Who are you comparing yourself to? And think about changing that. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Again, the show notes are at mindforlife.org slash 044. You can leave comments there about this episode. You can also subscribe on iTunes if you haven't done so yet. And while you're there, please leave a rating and review. And maybe, just maybe, we'll read it out on the program. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time.